Good morning. Uh, welcome to our 11.15 morning service at Beckles Baptist Church. Lovely to have you with us in the building. And if you're joining us online through our live stream on YouTube, it's great to have you tuning in too. My name is Peter Skerritt, uh, the assistant pastor here. And a bit later, uh, Tom Fenning, our pastor, uh, will be preaching to us uh, as we continue in the book of Romans. Uh, we're going to start um, by just introducing and saying hello to everybody in the building, um, partly for the benefit of you online, so you get a feel for who you're worshipping with, uh, but actually also for us in the building. It, it helps if we, we can't speak across the room, we can at least wave and say hello to each other around the room. So we're going to start, uh, this hopefully won't throw my head too much, we'll start in the far corner. Kev Mannion, nice to have you with us, and Sarah, Julian Allen, tuning in again, great to have you with us, Justin and Rebecca. Ian, well done for making it this morning. It's great to have you. Matthew and Joan, hello. Roger and Jill. On the back desk, we've got Nick and Matthew and Hannah. You're accompanying them. Are you on the camera, Hannah, today? Not today. <laughs> Not ever, it looks like. Uh, Teresa, great to have you. Sandra and Morris, hello. The Payne family, Stella, Josh. Morning. Morning. Joe, Joe's going to give us our reading a bit later today. And Tom. And I didn't see who was letting us in, but there will be some people joining us in a moment. Let me read some words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is what we came to in our Bible reading today. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul knew they needed that encouragement. We need that encouragement too. And we are going to listen now to a song. If you're at home, please sing along in the building, hum along, engage with the words. This is how we will encourage each other to wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. 
Father God, we want to start by praising you for your character. Thank you for that character, that glory expressed most clearly in the Lord Jesus. We praise you for his life and his death. Thank you for his service and humility, that he would lay down his life. He would leave glory with you to walk on this earth for us. Thank you for uh, that humility that was covered and veiled and he didn't grab what was his. We praise you as well that he is now exalted, that death couldn't hold him, his enemies couldn't beat him, and now he lives and reigns on high. We praise you that all things are under him and he is above all things and that one day he will come back. And no one will dismiss him then. No one will dishonor him. Everyone will see his glory for what it is. Thank you that uh, it will be a majestic day as he comes back as the king. 
We pray that you would lift our eyes to that uh, today, in our time right now. We pray it would be a taste of that future when we will be with him forever. Would you fill us uh, with the image of Christ today that we would see uh, what he's like and that we would long to be with him for that day when we'll see him face to face. Please enable Tom as he preaches uh, to proclaim the, the glory, the wonder of Jesus Christ and his work for us. And we pray that we would enjoy this time as we meet with God and meet with his people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to do that now. We're going to meet with God in his word. So let's turn. Uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, we are in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. And uh, that's on the church Bible. It's page 1132. Um, would it be possible just to hand a couple of Bibles? If you could put a hand up if you haven't got a Bible and would like one if you're in the building, it's going to be hard to follow if, if you don't have a copy somewhere. And if you're at home, make sure you've got a Bible to hand as well. Romans chapter 6, just over there, would be great. Thank you. And I'm going to invite Joe Rogers to come up and read for us. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Amen. Do keep um, your copy of the Bible open in front of you, and while it's there, we need God's help. So let's pray. Our merciful Father, we would plead with you now, as needy people, that you would show us kindness and speak to us. 
And not only that you would speak to us, but you'd grant to us that ability to hear and to take to heart all that you have to say. Please help us, we ask, for we're easy, easily distracted. We um, struggle often to hold our thinking on you. Help us by your mighty spirit do just that, we pray. For we plead these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, allow me to um, echo the welcome that Peter's brought. Lovely to see you here. Great to have you tuning in online and joining us there too. Um, as we come to look at this passage, I would like to ask you to think back to the week that has just passed. In this week, how have you used the different parts of your body? Your eyes, what have they looked at? Your ears, what have they listened to? Your mouth, what has it said or failed to say? Your feet, where have they taken you? Your hands, who have they helped? Have they harmed anyone? Your mind, what has absorbed your thinking? Your heart, what have you loved and longed for? How have you used your body this week? Now, I'd imagine from... Folk here in the building, you tuning in online, there's a mixture going on there. We, we can have thought of various things that we've done with different parts of our bodies, which would have honoured the Lord Jesus, have done in his service, would have earned his smile. But then probably we'll also be aware of ways in which we have failed to please him, failed to honour him with different parts of our bodies. The aim of our passage this morning, I think, is crystal clear. And it is to do this. It is to equip and encourage us to use every part of our bodies in God's service all the time. Where do I get that from? Verse 13. If you've never looked in a Bible before, just to say the chapters, they're indicated by the big numbers and the verses by the little numbers. So big number six, little number 13. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. I think that's the heartbeat of this passage. It is to encourage and equip us to use every part of our bodies in God's service all the time. Now, as we reach chapter six, there's a bit of a change of tack going on. To this point in Romans, Paul has been stressing over and over again the amazing security that is ours through the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are justified, stood in the right before God, that our past sins are forgiven, our future sins will be forgiven, and our future secure and certain. So much so that the, the end of our passage last week said this, that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And speaking of God's grace like this, grants believers in the Lord Jesus colossal confidence. But the danger is, the danger is this, that believers in the Lord Jesus consider God's grace to write them a blank check, meaning that they can let go of all restraint and sin to the max so that they'd know the maximum of God's grace. Now, Paul anticipates this line of thinking is coming. It, we, I, so in our home group a couple of weeks ago, while we're looking at Romans 5, someone raised this specific question. 
And Paul anticipates it in verse 1. Do you look with me? What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, or no way, Jose, we might say. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Why does Paul react so strongly against the thought that believers in the Lord Jesus will give way to sin to the max? Well, because to conduct yourselves like that doesn't cherish God's grace. It abuses it. It doesn't lift God's grace on high for all to see how wonderful it is. It is to trample it down in the dirt. And more than that, it is to fail to conclude, to apprehend and see that God's grace gives us power so that we no longer need to obey sin. God's grace pays for the penalty of sin and it breaks sin's power. And to just live on sinning, well, that, that totally fails to understand God's grace in all of its dimensions. And today we see this whole thought of the power of sin being broken. Now, now we need to qualify that a bit, don't we? Because while God has dealt with the penalty of our sin when Jesus died, he paid for it in full, and he broke sin's power, that means that Christians can now obey the Lord Jesus truly, the presence of sin still remains. That means that none of us will meet, ma- reach matchless, sinless perfection in this life before the Lord Jesus returns. It just won't happen. And yet, we really can genuinely consistently obey God so much so that we are characterized by godliness and not by sin. Real holiness is possible through God's grace. How does God do that? How does God's grace help us use every part of our bodies in his service all the time? Two ways. These are the two big moves that we find throughout the New Testament. God is going to tell us what is true of you, and tell us also what you need to do. It's going to tell us what is true of you and what you need to do. If you like your grammar terms, what is true of you? That's the indicative statement of fact. What is true of you and what you need to do? That's the imperative, the command. And this pattern comes all the way through the New Testament and is here. And it simply says that before God commands you to do something, he holds up a mirror so that you can see yourself accurately. Before God commands you to do something, he holds up a mirror to help you see yourself accurately. Uh, This passage is particularly addressing those who call themselves Christians. But if you're here as someone who wouldn't call themselves a Christian, my hope is that this passage would help you see how it gives you hope. Hope that some of those habits, um, sinful tendencies that you have, that you struggle to fight off, that actually you could know liberation from them in the Lord Jesus. Well, let's get cracking, and we're going to see this passage under two headings. First up, what is true of you, and then what you need to do. Um, And each of these headings will have two parts. And the first bit of what is true of you is by far and away the longest, and it is this. You're joined to Jesus in his death and resurrection. Okay, this is the longest, so dig deep, we'll get through it, and then the rest are all much shorter, promise, okay? What is true of you, you're joined to Jesus in his death and resurrection. 
Uh, people here, I'm sure, will know that actually having an accurate understanding of who we are is essential for making our way through life. Often, I imagine you, like me, will have had conversations with a friend who knows you really well, who's able to identify things from your upbringing, uh, things from your particular personality and preferences that can cause you to act in ways that maybe frustrate you and you'd love to shake. Understanding who you are is essential for making your way in life, and that's just way more the case in the Bible. Understanding who we have been made in the Lord Jesus is critical. And so what is true of you? Here's the first thing. You're joined to Jesus in his death and resurrection. Look down with me to verse 2. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see that word in verse 5, united, united with Christ. It means to be joined to Jesus. What Paul is talking about here is a doctrine, a teaching that's very much present in all that he writes and in much of the New Testament. And it's this doctrine, union with Christ, union with Christ. It's one of the most important doctrines in the Bible. And what it means is this is that when someone becomes a Christian, they don't simply say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, do you mind picking up the tab for my sin and I'll make my own way from here? No, instead, when someone becomes a Christian, they are joined to Jesus permanently and wonderfully so that the life they live from now on, once they become a Christian, is lived in intimate connection with the Lord Jesus and all the blessings that he has secured will flow down to them and through them. A simple illustration of this joining of two parties is seen when two people get married. But when a man and a woman are married, they are joining themselves together. They're saying, gone are the days when we lived independent of one another. Now we will choose to do life together from here on. And it brings the blessings of strength and comfort and company throughout life. And with a Christian, they have joined the Lord Jesus. They have been wed to him. So that actually all the blessings that he has secured, which are just beyond comprehension, come flowing down to us. They are ours. And this is immensely important. John Calvin, who is a man from the 16th century, a great reformer, Frenchman who lived in Geneva. He describes the importance of this doctrine like this. He says, as long as Christ remains outside us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us. Turn the, turn the quote on its head. It would say this. So if you join to the Lord Jesus by faith today, this is what is true of you. As long as Christ lives in us and we are joined to him. All that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race is of enormous blessing to us and of inestimable value. You cannot compute how important all of this is. 
And the great news is the very moment that someone puts their faith in the Lord Jesus, they are joined to Jesus. You are joined to him by faith. And most crucially, you are joined to him in two events of his life, his death and his resurrection. So much so that when you read it in the Bible, you shouldn't read of those events purely as history. You instead should read them as biography. Your biography, my biography, so that when we see Jesus dying, we say, I died with him. When Jesus rose to new life, I rose with him. The events of Jesus' death and resurrection are your biography. You've been joined so tightly to Jesus. Have a look at verse four. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. There's lots of mention of baptism in these verses here. Why, why mention of this, this initiation right of people when they become Christians? Two reasons. First up is because baptism highlights the moment, the moment when someone becomes a Christian, when they're joined to him, because it happens at conversion. When Paul was writing this letter, there was not a dislocation between conversion and baptism. They would instead happen almost at the same, straight off the other. You become a Christian, you get baptised. And so Paul mentions baptism here because he's saying you were united to Christ the moment you came to faith in Christ. And the moment you came to faith in Christ, you were baptised. And you went public with your faith. The second reason why Paul is talking about baptism here is because it highlights the specific events that you were joined with Jesus that are so crucial. You, many of you will have been here before when we've had a baptism here. Right at the front, the boards would be lifted and people would go down into the pool. And then having confirmed that they really are trusting the Lord Jesus, what would happen? They would be lowered down under the water, symbolizing that they have been joined with Jesus in his death. They're saying, I'm dying to my old way of life. And then they are lifted out of the water, symbolizing that they've been joined to Jesus in his resurrection, saying, as Jesus rose to new life, so am I. It's a declaration of what has happened in the past. So Paul is highlighting baptism because it, it points towards the most significant events of Jesus' life that we're joined with, his death and his resurrection. And just to say that, therefore, it matters the mode of baptism, how baptism is done. The reason that we would want in all possible situations for people to be immersed is because it declares the joining with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. And Paul is pointing back to the baptism of these believers and he's saying, look what's true of you. You were joined to Jesus by faith in his death and resurrection. Press the pause button for just a moment. It's worth me just saying that for any here, any tuning in online who would say, Actually, I'm a Christian, but you've never taken the step of being baptised. Can I say the New Testament just assumes that people who come to faith in the Lord Jesus will be baptised. And not only is it assumed, it's also commanded. Jesus says, believe and be baptised. We are to be baptised as an outward declaration of an inward transformation. To be sure, baptism doesn't save you. But it actually grants you assurance of sins forgiven. It declares to the world you're living for Jesus. Jesus. 
if you've never been baptized, but you say, I'm a Christian, well, can I urge you to come and talk to me? Or Peter, or what, Doug or elders, one of the other, Doug or Adrian, one of the other elders. We'd love to talk to you about that. We really would. Okay, enough. Pause, press play again. On we go. Paul has been pointing towards the believer's baptism and he's saying, holding up a mirror and he's saying, look, what's true of you? You've been joined to Jesus in his death and resurrection. Let's think about each of those things very briefly in turn. What does it mean to be joined to Jesus in his death? Well, this is where the rubber hits the road. Paul is saying, your old way of life is done. It is toast. It is laid down dead in the ground. And to confirm the finality of it, it's referred to as being buried. When something's buried, you don't dig it up again. Someone dies, you lay them in the ground. That's it. In a sense, Paul is saying you've drawn the line underneath your old way of life, characterised by sin. You're done. You see who you are. You've been joined to Jesus also in his resurrection. This means that as we live for God now, we have a new life, a new power working through us by God's spirit coursing through our veins. And you see that in verse 4, second half, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. What God is saying here is that the Christian life is profoundly supernatural. The capacity to say no to sin is the power of God at work within you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead works through you. Supremely supernatural. It may happen in the humdrum, ordinary acts of life, but they are fused with the divine. If we could illustrate it from the world of superheroes, when you become a Christian, you don't become like Batman. You know, Batman's able to be a superhero because he's colossally wealthy and he's able to buy all the gizmos and gadgets he needs to bolt onto him to make him into a superhero. He is a man. He's just quite ordinary. Very wealthy, but ordinary. Bolt-on power. Spider-Man on, on the other side is fundamentally different because the transformation is an internal thing. The powers he have reside within him and they characterize him. They're not bolt-ons, they are him. How much more supremely when someone comes to faith in the Lord Jesus, they're joined Jesus in his resurrection, new power courses through their body to enable them in the little things to say no to sin and to live for God. Do you know who you are? Do you know what's true of you? What's true of you is this, that you have been joined to Jesus in his death and resurrection. That's the longest bit we look at. Now let's press on. The next thing we see is this. What is true of you? You're no longer slaves to sin. You're no longer slaves to sin. Now the idea introduced here is introduced here in the first part of chapter 6 and then picked up in further detail in the second half of chapter 6. But look at it in verse 6 of chapter 6. Here. Verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, that's Christ, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. I think what these verses is saying should be reasonably straightforward for us to spot. When we died with Christ, we were set free from slavery to sin. No longer do we have to march to its drumbeat. No longer are we under its thumb. I love the way the message puts it. Could it be any clearer? 
The old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin, miserable life. No longer it sins every beck and call. This week I read an account of a man called Stuart Briscoe, who was um, from the United States of America and during the Korean War enrolled in the US Marines. He came under the oversight of a particularly fearsome regimental sergeant major who had a particular penchant for making rock-like recruits into, into jellies in no time at all. Briscoe had no idea exactly how much he was under the sway of this regimental sergeant major until he finally came to leave the military. And he found himself outside the barracks doing all the things he couldn't do. He had his hands in his pockets, he was slouching and he was whistling. And then he saw the sergeant major come past and his back went ramrod straight, hands out of his side and he stopped whistling in an instant. But then as he caught himself, he thought, hold on a minute, I've been set free. I'm no longer under his authority. So slouching returned, hands back in pockets, whistling resumed. Briscoe had been liberated from slavery to the sergeant major. How much more wonderful that when you become a Christian, you're liberated from the enslaving power of sin. Equipped to now say no to sin and yes to God. Please don't miss here, however, that we are never to think of sin as a neutral thing. It is dynamic and dangerous, and there is something inherently enslaving about it. And for a Christian to get embroiled with it is basically to try to return to slavery. Jesus has set you free. And if you're someone who wouldn't call themselves a Christian here today, well, again, again, please, Note this, we may kid ourselves that we're totally free, able to do whatever we please. However, however, we each know, don't we? There are aspects to our character we'd love to shake, and we cannot. The great news is that in Jesus that is possible. would urge you to turn to him. Trust in him. You can be set free from slavery to sin. Okay, what is true of you? This is Paul has labored this point. Two things. You are no longer slaves to sin, and you are joined to Jesus in his death and resurrection, if you're a Christian here today. Next, we see this, what you need to do. What you need to do. There are two things we need to do. First up, when you do this, think about it. Think about it. You've died to sin and are living for God. Look at verse 11. This is the very first command we find in all of Romans. So only taking six chapters to get there. First command, a command to think. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. To count yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus is to join the dots between reality and activity, between who you are and what you're to do. Paul has spent a long time laboring who you are. And now he says to join the dots to what you're then to do, you need to think. Think it through. That's how you join the dots. Ponder on these things in order that you might live it out. Now, I don't know about you, but I often find thinking hard. Two big reasons why I find thinking hard. One, I am lazy. 
Two, thinking is hard. No one's put that better than Henry Ford, who said this. He said, thinking is the hardest work there is, which is probably why so few people engage in it. Pretty accurate. But if we are going to do any good at offering all of our bodies in God's service all the time, we must be willing to think. We must. How can I join the dots between reality and activity, between who I am and what I'm to do? Let me try and give you some strategies. Um, Tonight or tomorrow morning, when you're stood in front of the bathroom mirror, I dare you, I dare you to say this. Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? I've been joined to Jesus in his death and resurrection. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Do you know who I am? Or next time you're tempted to sin. I dare you to say to yourself and to your sin, do you know who I am? I've been joined to Jesus in his death and resurrection. I am no longer a slave to sin. Do you know who I am? I dare you to do this. Next time, during the week, when you bump into someone from church, I dare you to say, do you know who I am? And expect them and demand them to say to you in return, do you know who I am? Now, that may seem totally over the top, but I'm sorry, I need over the top things to help me put stuff into my little head. And I reckon you probably do too. Do you know who I am? Do you know who you are? Augustine was a man who had thought these things through. Augustine was an early church father from the fourth century, a real colossus, a real big thinker in the early church. But in his early years, he was, man, he was wild, sexually promiscuous and the lot. But then wonderfully, in answer not least to his mother's prayer, he became a Christian and was wonderfully transformed. And one day, having become a Christian, he was wandering down the street and he saw a, saw a woman who, who he used to have a relationship with, a sexual relationship with, and he, he tried to make a beeline in the opposite direction. Didn't want to succumb to it. And she called after him, Augustine, Augustine, it's me, it's me. To which he turned around and he said this, he said, it is you, but it's no longer me. It is you. It's no longer me. Augustine had thought it through. He'd counted himself dead to sin and alive to God. He'd joined the dots between reality and activity. Do you to do the same? God commands you to do the same. Think it through. Count yourself dead to sin and alive to God. That's the first thing you need to do. Second thing you need to do is this. Give all of you to God and none of you to sin. Give all of you to God and none of you to sin. Um, If you've ever been to a military parade, especially a military parade positive to the command, the negative is this. We are not to offer any part of us to sin and unrighteousness. This is a critical part of holiness. If we're to offer our bodies in God's service, we need to be able to say no to sin. And here's the thing. Every time you're able to say no to sin, it is evidence of God's grace. Because only by God's supernatural grace can you say no to sin. It's the only hope you've got. The way Titus 2 puts it is quite delightful, isn't it? For the grace of God teaches us to say no 
to ungodliness and worldly passions. I think I can emphasize this half of the verse too much. And the danger is if I only ever say no to sin, it's like going through life at best with a limp and at worst with one leg. Because I need the positive, something to do positively too. So the negative is not offer any part of our bodies in service of sin. Positive, we're to offer every inch of our being in service of God. We're to offer every inch of our being in service of God. And don't think that that's simply secluded to the religious things. Reading my Bible, praying, going to church, those are brilliant things. But also it involves how you engage in your hobbies, how you conduct your friendships, your family, your marriage, how you go to work, how you use your retirement. In all of those, you should be thinking, right, I want to offer all of these things, God, to earn and merit your smile. I want to make you smile in how I serve you here. So think for a moment to the week that is to come. How will you use the different parts of your body? Your eyes, what will they look at? Your ears, what will they listen to? Your mouth, what will it say and not say? Your feet, where will they take you? Your hands, who will they help? Your mind, what will fill your thinking? Your heart, what will you love and long for? Let me give you a couple of very brief worked examples before we wrap up. Think of a, um, a father with um, young children who is struggling with, um, with his anger. Young children have plenty of ammunition to try your patience. Father's playing with his children and feels his temperature rising, so he escapes the situation for a moment. And he finds himself in the bathroom, in front of the mirror. And so he speaks to himself. He says, do you know who I am? I've been joined to Jesus in his death and resurrection. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm not going to get angry. Father, forgive me, please. He says no to sin. But then positively, he then says, right, I pray for my kids. And in that moment, he prays for his kids, thanking God for them, praying for wisdom to parent them well. And then he leaves the bathroom and goes and says to his kids, I'm sorry. Sorry for getting cross. And he spends some time with them. Negative, positive. I think of a, a, a lady who, who's, who's going around her friend's house. She's a Christian. Her friend is not. And as she pulls into the driveway, she just feels the green-eyed monster pop up yet again. Brand new car, lovely house, gorgeous kitchen, great coffee. And she gets home. She is, she's more than a little jealous. But then she finds herself in front of the bathroom mirror and she says, do you know who I am? I've been joined to Jesus in his death and resurrection. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Father, I'm sorry that I'm jealous. Please help me stop. But then positively, she then says, Lord, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you for her generosity to me and to many others. Thank you that she's a gift of a friend. Please, would you save her and help her learn of Jesus? Amen. Negative. Positive. I wonder if there are other examples that you could think of. What do we need to do? Give all of you to God and none of you to sin. I find this passage deeply challenging. I'd be surprised if you don't. 
And I'm really encouraged at the things that grant us power to live for God here. But I know that all too often I don't offer every part of my body in God's service all the time. Well, may the words of John Newton bring me and you comfort. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you so very much that your grace changes us from the inside out, empowers us to offer all of ourselves in your service. Please would you forgive us for all those times when even this last week we have not served you. And not only would you forgive us, but would you renew your power within us to enable us to obey you in every way and to serve you with every part of who we are. Might we be able to do that as we, as we remember what is true of us, that we've been joined with Jesus in his death and resurrection, we've no longer slaves to sin. And might we also offer our bodies to you as we remember what we are to do, that we're to think things through and we're to offer ourselves, all of us, to you. Help us do this, we pray. For we need your help in Jesus' name. Amen. To help us respond to what we have seen in our passage this morning, we are going to listen to a song. Those of you at home, please do sing along to your heart's content. Those in the building, um, don't sing, but you can hum. And let's think on the words as we have this song played. O great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart. Great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart. Own it all and reign supreme. Conquer every rebel power. Let no vice or sin remain that resists your holy war. You have loved and purchased me, make me yours forevermore. I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice, did not know your love within, had no taste for heaven's joys. Then your spirit gave me life, opened up your word to me. Through the gospel of your son, gave me endless hope and peace. Yes, you did. Help me now to live a life that's dependent on your grace. 
Keep my heart and guard my soul from the evils that I face. You are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed. Oh, great God of highest heaven, glorify your name through me. You are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed. Oh, great God of highest heaven, glorify your name through me. We mentioned last week that we are planning to relaunch JAM. That's our children's after-school club, after-half-term. Um, we have produced a video, or Beth and Peter have produced a video, that we've shared with parents and carers of children who normally attend JAM. We thought, why keep it to them? We could also show it to you so that you'd know how to pray best for JAM, but also so that you might get to see a little bit more of Ben. Are you okay? What's wrong? It's just, it's just I miss Jam so much. It's been so long. <laughs> ben, haven't you heard? Heard what? Jam. It's restarting. <gasps> Jam is starting back after half term on the 4th of November and we hope that you can come and join us and the team back in the building. Obviously everything in life looks a little bit different at the moment and Jam will be a little bit different but there are going to be lots of things that are much the same. You'll still get to do table football, challenges, craft, the Wii and tap shop. Yum yum. Lots of things will be the same as before and many things will be similar to what you do at school, like smaller groups and lots of hand sanitizer everywhere. But perhaps the biggest change is that you'll actually get to choose what type of jam you get to go to. You can sign up for the chill out jam happening in the main auditorium. Or you could sign up for the sports jam. Each session will run at the same time, but completely separately. Jam uh, will be a little bit shorter than you're used to. We'll be meeting from 5.30 till 6.30. And of course, it's going to be just a little bit smaller. We're allowed to have up to 15 children in each jam. So make sure you sign up quickly. You can sign up through our website and you'll have to pay for the whole half term, but that will include money for the tuck shop as well. And if you've got any questions, please don't hesitate just to send us a message, uh, maybe on the contact form on our website or an email to the church office or through our Facebook page. Hope to see you there. Bye. I hope that gives you a bit of a flavour of what's to come, helps you learn how to um, pray. Those tuning in, maybe 
prompt to you to sign up if you've not signed up already. Um, we're going to pray for Jam. We're going to pray on for our government. We're going to pray for some people. So let's bow our heads and let's talk to God. Father, it excites us that um, Jam is going to restart <clears throat> after half term. We thank you so much, our Father, for all the hard work that Beth and Peter have put in and for preparing for the restart of this ministry. We thank you, Father, that it will grant both children who normally come to church and those who don't somewhere to come to have lots of fun and also to learn about the Lord Jesus. Please would you help Peter and Beth as they finalise plans. We pray for the right number of leaders to help, for a good number of children to sign up and come. May Jam, we pray, be a place where um, our church children can call home and be um, able to invite their friends. Might it also be a, a home to those who wouldn't normally come to church? Father, might you please prosper the ministry of Jam so that Jesus would be trusted and loved by children and families throughout our town and beyond. Father, we continue to pray for our government very aware of the complexities of leading in these very complicated times. Father, besides the complexities of Brexit, we're very aware of the difficulties of trying to lead the country with the current coronavirus pandemic and all the restrictions that are needed to put in place. Would you give all those in power great wisdom to work out what is the wisest way forward. We want to thank you, our Father, for the liberty continuing to be granted to churches to meet, even in places like Liverpool, where there are the strictest of restrictions. And we pray that that would continue and that you would continue to establish and strengthen your people in those places as they meet in church, even right now. Father, please would you help us continue to be godly in praying for our leaders. Would you also help us, please, continue to be patient with these frustrations. And Father, we also want to pray for some people particularly in need in our church family. We think very especially of Bertie and Gladys. We thank you for them and we commit Bertie to you very much as he continues in hospital. We pray that he might soon be able to come home. Thank you for the strength that he's regained since his suspected, suspected, suspected stroke. We ask your continued comfort and patience to him and Gladys. We pray on also for John and Lord, Lorna Archer, how we love them and thank you for the gift that they are to our church. We pray, dear Father, with John being increasingly restricted and poorly with his cancer, that you would continue to draw close to him and Lorna. Please, would you help them know your presence and your nearness? Would you help their family, especially as they support them? And please, would you have mercy upon them? And Father, we also want to thank you for Tinica. What a blessing she has been to so many of us, how we love her and we commit her in her frailty to you. Thank you for the devotion of her daughters in caring for her. We pray that you'd continue to help Tinica trust you and know your strength in these days. And all these people we pray for also pausing for a moment to commit to you people particularly on our hearts. Thank you, Father, that you've heard all the people that we've mentioned. Thank you that there is no better place that we could entrust them to but your hands. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our service is almost concluded. There are, however, a few notices uh, for me to mention. There's notices for 
all of us in the building and those tuning in online as well, and then some special bonus notices for those just here in the church building. Um, for those, for all of us, um, please do note that we have uh, playlists on our YouTube channel at the moment to help us respond both to the morning and the evening service. We'd encourage you to sing along to the truths that we've been learning and the songs that we've put up there. Uh, this evening, we meet here back in the building at 6.30 for our evening service. Peter Skerritt, our assistant pastor, will be preaching from 1 Samuel chapter 23. That service is both here in the building and live streamed on our YouTube channel. We'd love you to join us, whether that's in person or virtually at 6.30 today. Then looking forward to the week, our, our main midweek meeting is our home groups. For the evening home groups, we are meeting for Home Group Central on Thursday evening. We'll be meeting on Zoom. We've already sent you the link via email. We will resend that link, fear not, on Thursday coming so that you'll have it and you can join that meeting too. Um, it starts at 7.45, different time, 7.45. Um, we're pushing it a little bit later so that people with young children will be able to get them to bed and join the meeting. Um, so that's when it's happening. The meeting will be a combination of time altogether, and then some time in our home groups and probably mixed up in some other groups too. First half is looking at a Bible passage. Second half is praying. Would love you to join us then. That's on Thursday evening. And then the daytime home group meets on Friday um, at 10.30 um, on Zoom as well. Um, if you're not part of a home group and you'd like to find out more as to whether you could join one, do talk to me or to Peter. And we'll see where we could fit you, where we have space. Then on to next Sunday. Note this. Clocks go back. Extra hour in bed. Smiley face. Um, please don't come too early next week or we'll put you to work if you come to the building. Um, don't tune in too early online um, because there won't be anything. Um, so clocks go back. And then our services next week look very much like they do this week. So we're meeting at 9.15 and 11.15 in the building with the 11.15 service being live streamed. Those two services will be all-age family services, so the children will be back with us. We're intending on every four weeks having one of those, every four weeks having an all-age family service, both to give the Sunday school leaders a bit of a break, but also so that we get to see the children and have them here. So next week, Peter will be preaching on the next half of Romans 6 at our morning services. And then evening service, Malcolm Parsons will be speaking at our evening service at 6.30. Again, that's happening in the building and will be live streamed too. That's the end of our notices. Now, we're going to close with some words of scripture as a prayer. It's from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when the Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with us this morning. God bless you this week.